Welcome back to the Act Two podcast, a podcast for the real life working screenwriter. I'm Tosh Hugh. And I'm Josh Hallman. And before, man, a lot of trucks. Where do you live, Corey? I live right next to a freeway overpass. I'm not doing that well as a screenwriter yet. This is the, this is the, you know, we just got here podcast, right? This is the, I'm still in a studio apartment in North Hollywood. No, no, no. It's a fucking highway exit. That's what I think that's so appropriate for this episode. Um, All right. Well, before we launch into our chat with Corey, uh, remember, as always, if you have any questions or comments, topic suggestions you want us to cover just want to say hi reach out to us at act two writers at gmail.com or on our instagram at act two writers um all right so today we're talking with Corey deshawn about how to become a screenwriter and how he did it i think something we talk a lot about on this podcast is that there are just a million ways to a screenwriting career and josh and i have shared our paths and you can kind of take what you want and leave the rest but our guest today, Corey, I think has a very different path than Josh or I have had. So we're going to talk about how he did it. And we actually first learned about Corey through Twitter. Yay, 2020 and technology. <laughs> yeah, we, this is your, we, we, uh, Twitter or social media stalked you. It was amazing. Yeah, we did. <laughs> Um, I don't Wonderful. know if, it's, if, if, if this is good or bad, Corey, but you're the first person I've ever stalked on Twitter. Um, take take that as you will. Um, but an Act 2 member, actually, and a writer friend of mine, Kimberly Barante, retweeted your epic thread um, that I really related to about all these false starts that you've had in your career and where you think your career is like finally taking off and then nothing happens. I'm glad Twitter is becoming something. I mean, I've had a Twitter account since 2012, and I only started using it maybe like a year or so ago, just talking to writers, just like just the online writing community has been really cool. So it's kind of diving into that and I guess finding my niche and and what I'm going to tweet about. And when you started that, were you uh, open or were you kind of reluctant to like bare your soul about writing? And did it kind of take a little bit or were you like, you know what, fuck, I'm going in with these threads and here are my struggles. Boom. Yeah, it was kind of that. I mean, I, I wasn't, I'm not really big on social media. Like I have, I haven't had Facebook in at least five or six years. I have an Instagram account that's kind of there as a photography portfolio, but not really. So I don't use it, you know, in a very social media way. And for Twitter, I just couldn't think of what to do with it. And then I saw it was right at, actually at the WGA ATA split. All these writers go on Twitter and start supporting each other and tweeting each other. Like, oh, this is kind of cool because we started mm-hmm. doing mixers and stuff like that. You know, I like this. I like this community. So this is what I'll talk about while I'm here. Like, I can't think of anything else. And I started really just sort of talking to myself five years ago. Like, what would I have liked to have known when yeah. I was when I was really trying to navigate and find my way around? Like, what information would have helped me then? And that kind of became what I would talk about, just what I've what I see now. And then going back to this, so this thread that Tosh is referencing, was this like a normal response from your threads? Because even my manager had like retweeted it and a bunch <laughs> of people, you know, because the writing community, screenwriting community is smallish and like kind of things yeah. get reshared or retweeted or whatever. And uh, I saw it a couple of times. And when Tasha sent it, I was like, oh, I read this earlier. So was this like a regular occurrence for you or? first time thing i wouldn't call that regular i've had it i mean a couple of things that i'll write will i'll see that they'll kind of strike a nerve and they'll have a life of their own i mean i've i've talked about like the different types of successes and failures i've had from using the blacklist service before or from like scripts that would place in one contest but not another and what that means just kind of just really just just grounded like here's the look here's a kind of a bird's eye look at what this experience is like and some of those things will really really 
uh, pick up. Because I think it's just about uh, the frustration of it all, like capturing what frustrates other people and at least being able to look at it from my vantage point, who I have had some success in the blacklist or, or whatever to say, it still came with all of these failures. Even though I got something produced that way, it was still... I still have the same sort of uh, inconsistent notes experience that you might have yeah. had, or I still maybe placed a semifinalist in one competition, but that same script didn't place at all in another one. Like I'm still experiencing the same thing. And that's what you're, that's what you're going to see at every level here. just that level of subjectivity. And when I talk about stuff like that, those will really uh, start to start to pick up. It seems. That's the theme of our show. I feel like is this is fucking hard. (laughs) (laughs) And even though we have these successes, it's like, here's actually how the sausage is made. And so, yeah, that's probably why so many people are responding because they're like, thank God someone else is feeling the same way I'm feeling. And this is actually still what the path looks like. It's still this hard because I, I think we get distracted by success stories is like, Oh, if I don't have this huge, big success story, then I'm not actually making it. Maybe I'm doing something wrong. That that's what I that's what I said about the blog. This actually the script that I sold it averaged a six. It's not scoring nines and tens, and it's not you know the best thing to ever reach this. It was a regular, every you know, slightly above average script, but it was the right thing that the production company was looking for. So they bought it and they made it. But it's no you know that you can repeat that step. Mm-hmm. It's it's circumstance. Sure, it's the planets aligning, but it's not like some magical thing. It's just very 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 unlikely. But just to create that little bit of a connection to say, like, if you're if you're consistently scoring above average or you're placing you're there, you're already at the level of people who are actively working at it. It's just, you know, it's the other pieces of it that haven't quite connected yet. We're all a hard C writer. (laughs) Yeah. Get that good enough level, which is we can pass the class. We might not be on the top of the class yet, but that's good enough for now. And we'll just keep working our way up. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So we're definitely going to unpack what you just mentioned that you, you, that you sold a script and that, but I feel like we need to jump into this Twitter thread. Is it my Tasha, turn now? Okay. How do you feel about that? <laughs> do something. I love it. I'm excited. <laughs> I'm so excited to unpack these. Okay. So the first thing you said on your thread was I got my first writing credit within two years of moving to LA. So fuck you. First of all, um, <laughs> it was a rewrite job on a tiny little indie feature that even went on to get a theatrical release. Fuck you times two. And when it happened, I thought, is my career going to start now? And it didn't. So let's talk about that. That's so awesome. Yeah. Obviously for you, I'm kidding. Um, so how did the job come about? Were you already working in the industry? Were you already a writer who was taking generals around town? Did you have reps at the time? Talk us through how you got this first job. Um, well, I'll preface to say I have not had reps until this year. So everything mentioned in that thread was completely outside of that, um, that side of the industry anyway. Um, and for, so for that particular script, I was working as a production assistant. And this is the, the actual path that got me that was I started at uh, UCLA's graduate program in producing. I wanted to take that I, when I first moved out to LA just to get a ground floor understanding of how the business would work. And in that class, I met a cinematographer who I think who had just moved here from France and he was having a housewarming party. So he invites me and a couple other guys in the class to the party. At this party, I meet another group of people, don't even know who they knew, where they came from, nothing, but they invite me to some other party a couple of weeks later. And I go to this other party a couple of weeks later 
which turned out to be a YouTube celebrity party. Now, I did not know that. I'm not on YouTube in that way. Uh, but I remember seeing the chocolate rain guy. So I'm like, oh, cool. This is LA. All right. That's, that's kind of cool. That guy I know. That's, that's my generation. Um, but then somebody's like, oh, yeah, this is a YouTube celebrity party. Like, oh, YouTube gets you all this. All right. Shit, I'm in the wrong business. But uh, so at this party, I meet a director who's about to make his first feature, first micro budget film. And I asked to just be a volunteer on set. I had no onset experience. I didn't go to film school or anything like that. So I was, I'm here. I want to get my foot in the door somehow. I just want to get on sets. And he said, sure, come out and, and you can volunteer. So I volunteer on the set. I learn how to be a PA on the set. They hand me a walkie on the first day. I have no idea what that is or what channel we're supposed to be on for at least the first ha first half of the week. So eventually I figure it out and I start doing the job. And by the end of it, I was getting called back from other people on that set for other work. Um, wow. One of those was a the production coordinator of that micro budget film was a was an office PA on a larger budget film a little later on that summer. She called me in to be an intern on that, but then ended up leaving. So I got the office PA job there. That production coordinator of this, you know, lar and larger budget, we're still like indie. It was like a one or maybe two million uh, dollar feature, and. The production coordinator of that office was an indie producer in her own right. She had a couple of uh, little films that she produced. And on my first day of the job, she asked me, you know, what do you want to do? Or what are you here to do in the industry? And I was never the type to be like, I'm here to be the best PA I can be. Like, no, I'm a writer and director. That's that's why I'm here. And she said, okay, great. Uh, have you ever written anything? And at the time, I had written one feature, my first feature. Um, some other practice scripts before that, but this is my first, you know, real attempt at it. And I told her about the script um, and she said, great, I, that sounds pretty interesting. I'd love to read that one day. And I said, great, sent, balls in your court. <laughs> and eventually she did read it and she loved it. Wow. She was at one point attached to produce this other film, but that uh, wasn't the case anymore. She left that project, but referred me to that filmmaker who needed a rewrite on his script. He was about to get funding for it actually. And the script just needed some work and he had some other ideas that he wanted to uh, bring to it that he didn't quite know how to execute. And what it really needed was a drama pass. And what I had was a really just, you know, grounded drama sample. So she sent my script to him. He really loved it. And I got the job. Now, by got the job on a micro budget indie, I mean, I got a check for $500. And can you, you know, <laughs> rewrite this script? But I did. The, I mean, you know, that's was, a huge yeah. check for a for yeah, that's a time to rep right out of school. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that that was that, and that was maybe I think just under two years or somewhere between a year and a half and two years. I'm getting hired on my first writing job, like not really knowing you know where this is going to go or anything. But like, okay, great, this is something. And so I did my pass of the script. Can I ask, did you have to, for, for that kind of job, did you have ever have to read the script and pitch what changes you would make? Or was it literally, I like this guy from his writing, let's just go with it, it's 500 bucks. It was kind of, it was kind of in the middle. I've never, which is actually interesting about my career so far, even some of the other jobs have never been that formal of a, here's my take. It's always been so much more of a conversational, what I would bring to it or what I would do. And this was this was similar. So he read my script. He really liked it. We sat down and talked and it was just him telling me about some of the ideas that he wanted to incorporate. And he just sort of conversationally responding. Here's how I would, you know, think about that. And but it was never here's what I'm going to do. Here's how many pages. It's like, I, I have no idea. So but I mean, but that was enough. It was just building a rapport. And then he's like, you know what? I, I trust you with it. It seems like you get it. 
Um, so let's see. Wow. And that version of the script did end up getting its financing and they were about to shoot and then it fell apart, but came back a different way a year later. Um, at that point, I think I was working on something else, but they did end up doing additional passes of the script, like bringing on a couple other writers or whatever, but it did, it, it got made. It, mm -hmm. it premiered at a festival. It won an audience award at a festival. And then it got for, for an indie, it was a pretty big theatrical release for, for, I mean, again, like a no, not no budget, but very, very small budget indie. I think it released in something like 600 theaters. Oh, wow. wow. And that was a couple of years later and I still had my credit on it. Like, so that was, uh, that was the first one. Yeah. That's awesome. What is the name of it? Uh, it's called Shine. That's awesome. Um, so how many years after you did your rewrite, did it get released? Uh, it, was, it was at least two or three years, I think. I don't, I don't remember exactly. So you, the movie's over, gets released, 600. It, it clearly has got fans. People are liking it. Um, how does that affect your career? In no way at all. <laughs> <laughs> never, yeah, never, like came, how, up, how is that never came up in conversation again. Um, well, so were you trying to get a rep at this time? Were you like, hey, I, I have a fucking movie coming out? Sort of, but not really. I think I'm trying to remember. Like, I don't remember the exact timeline of it, but I think before it released, I was going down this path of what I thought was going to be my first feature as a director. Now that that same producer who referred me to him was the one who ended up optioning my that same script that she read that she loved uh, for me to direct, which spoiler alert went nowhere. But <laughs> at the time, that's where my head was, and I, think, and I was still working like production jobs, PAing here and there, coordinator here and there, and I think I might have even gotten hired to write something else before that finally came out. So I was so it was sort of in the middle of quite a few other things i wasn't really expecting any sort of major wave to come my way when it did get released but i wasn't exactly expecting nothing either so did you have a plan for when it came out like you were going to use this to leverage other work or did you even know how to go about doing that that reminds me it did it didn't come out until after i had already sold the other script so oh. so it didn't come out until at least 2017 then so it was it was it was quite a few years, but by then I wasn't looking at that as being like the one thing because if anything the spec sale was going to be the one thing. So by then it was just sort of it was a line on the resume to say oh this is something else that I can point to when I need to to say oh by the way this is actually my second credit now the one that just uh, it's going into mm -hmm. production. Okay, so you have done your rewrite. It's doing its thing, and as we all know, if it's doing its thing, you're, it's like it's out of your hands. So you're you're moving on to other stuff. And in that time, before it gets released, you have optioned an original feature. It's going to be your directorial debut to this person you met through all those different channels, mm -hmm. which is so cool. Party um, happened on the set. Yeah, <laughs> go to parties, people. That's where it happens. Yeah. Um, so that didn't go anywhere, as you say, as those things often do. Um, well, t talk to us about what, what happened. Why didn't it go anywhere? It's, it's, that's obviously something that's so exciting. Someone believes in your script and believes in you as a director and is trying to push this. Talk, talk about how it fell apart, if you don't mind. Yeah. I think it was a case of just not really getting enough momentum to begin with. So, so that producer was also just staying in the ranks of working production for a while. And I think didn't really get to a point where she felt comfortable just going full speed ahead into it. Like to really is like, I'm going to carry this thing across the finish line, which if there's one thing I've noticed, that's what every 
project is going to need at least the one person and or a team to say like it's going to be my life to get this thing made and she wasn't in a position where she could have said that at the time is that because she herself was needing to pay rent so she was just working on so many things yeah yeah she had her own life her own yeah it was that's that whole sort of thing um we weren't we weren't able to hit a real like all right the, we're at the starting line. We're going to start the race now. We never really got to that point with it. And then it just sort of dissolved it after that. I mean, the, the, the final nail in the coffin for me anyway was uh, actually when, when The Shy came out, um, Lena Waithe's show, there was a plot line in that that was not the same, but very similar to something that was also in that feature. So by then for me, um, I was just kind of done with it. Like, oh, if I would have, if I would have really tried to make this thing now or take this out now, then it's going to seem like I just copied that idea. Like there was, there was no, none of that going on, but it was yeah. just coincidence as, as those things often do. And as, as it happens. So by then I was like, all right, I can move on from this project. The script itself opened a lot of doors for me. So that was pretty cool. And um, now that was going to be my next question. Yeah. Kind of, it feels like, Hey, I've optioned this this feature and I'm attached to direct is a big way to pitch yourself to people to potentially build out your network and even get more meetings. So can you talk about how that did help you in, in this way? It helped with the very next writing job, which is also like from this circle of this, this existing at the time I also directed my first short out here, which did fairly well. I picked up some small awards, small festivals, that sort of thing. And these things bridge directly into what became like the next big assignment, which was that true story adaptation. Uh, this was an actor producer who wanted to adapt the story of these, uh, of this family that he grew up knowing and was looking for, looking for a writer to bring on. So the combination of him, I think reading that script, me having that uh, validation of, yes, he's a director also. Not that I was, necessarily going to direct this but just like oh okay i you, you've kind of got that sense too that's good to know and then seeing a rough cut of the short at the time is a final like oh okay you actually do kind of know what you're doing great let's talk about this then and then it came up very similarly it was, at no point was i pitching a take on it it was just talking conversationally about what the circumstances of this family's life was to the point where he decided to bring them out to meet me just to again talk conversationally start to ask a few questions about where the story could go. The family that he was still close with um, felt very comfortable with me and that became the job. How did this writer, I'm sorry, actor, producer get his hands or her hands on the script? Through that same producer. The same producer, gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So. As far as you know, you weren't even competing with other writers for this job. Yeah, it was. It wasn't like just he's sitting back taking pictures or anything. It's like he had the the idea out there that he was going to go do, and this producer was literally just walked me in the door to say, "Hey, here's the person you should talk to about this." That's amazing. That's awesome, man. Yeah. Um, well, that's great. You didn't have to pitch to get this job because pitching sucks. Yeah. <laughs> so okay, so <laughs> but also like clearly your personality being able to make everyone feel confident in you that you could direct that you had a command of story all very important stuff which as we've talked about in our pitching uh episodes like that's more than half the battle with pitching anyways is just showing that you have confidence so you now have your first owa you're working with an actor who's also a producer that feels very real you're actually doing research you're getting paid to develop is that right yeah yeah and as you say in your thread, is my career going to start now? And it didn't. 
so first of all, how long after your option did this job come up, the OWA? Like how, I'm, I'm trying to figure out the timeline of how quick yeah. this was happening for you. This was, this was right about when we were kind of realizing that this option, this film is not going to get made. So I want to say that was the end of 2015, maybe, or right or the beginning, I think the shy premiere at the beginning of 2016. So like right around that transition, or this might have even started a little bit before that. I think the, the conversation started before that and it kind of uh, overlapped. Uh, but this was 2016 when I was doing this primarily. Yeah, it, it did start at the end of 2015 then carried over into 2016. Uh, so I was still working production at the time, working in production offices on a couple of studio films at that point. Okay, that um, was another question I had too. Is, yeah. is What's your day job during this whole time? The day job through all of that was production assistant on bigger films, production coordinator on some small like TV, uh, like pilots and, and some shows and things like that. So still just production work uh, day to day. And I would get to a point where I would turn down whatever the next job was so that I could take a deep dive into whatever the thing I was going to write was going to be, uh, whether it's however much I can afford, whether it was a month, two months, three months, however long I could spend not working up to the point of, all right, charging rent on a credit card again, mm -hmm. and then uh, going off to the next production job. Yeah. So is that the cycle if you're a production assistant? I don't think either of Actually, Josh was a PA for a while. I, I did was. not PA. Um, so I'm curious in terms of, like for me, I came up in the development world as an assistant. So I had my nine or eight to eight job. And then afterwards would go to an all night diner to write. But it sounds like for you, like your cycle was sort of like a feast or famine situation. Like you'd work yeah. at your job and there's no time to write. And then you would take time off and desperately write. Is that right? Yeah. I, I, I tried early on a version of writing and uh, PAing at the same time. It did not work. But what I will say is by... The end of my PA career, uh, when I was taking PA jobs at, on the studio films, it was with a, a group that I've been working with for a while who would have wanted to like promote me up the chain. And I kept saying no. And the deal that I would work out with them is I will do some of those other higher responsibilities. You can still pay me the PA rate, but don't bother me with those bullshit runs because I'm going to be on the clock writing. And they were like, they were fine with it. So... That's Eventually, awesome. I did sort of work out a way that I can at least get some work done during the day job. I love that. So you knew yeah. you were like, I'm going to be a writer. I want to write. Like, there oh, wasn't yeah. Any... Okay, cool. Because, you know, sometimes you can, like being in the PA world, you can really get looped into, like you're saying, you can get like bumped up, bumped up, and you find yourself. Like I was in working in the art department after being a PA and like, I was like, I, what am I doing in the art department? I don't even know anything about this. I don't like doing yeah. this. And it was just like so confusing, but you make good money. So it's like, yeah, that was, the, I went out of my way to not get comfortable. Like ADs yeah. make how much? Oh, no, I'm not going to, no, we're not doing it. Yeah. yeah. No. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Good for you. That's, that's the hard, those are the hard choices you have to make. If you want to write, you do kind of have to be uncomfortable <laughs> because because you have to make it so that writing is the thing that will earn you your paycheck, however you can get yeah. into that mentality um, because you just need that drive. This is awesome because this is not our experience at all. So I love hearing about it. Um, so were you able to work on other projects at the same time that you're doing all these other writing projects and PAing or was were you pretty much doing just this OWA for this writer producer at the time? For a while, that was the only thing that I was doing because I had I had that and the day job stuff that I would kind of go back and forth between. So I wasn't writing anything new at the time. It wasn't until 
the beginning of 2017 that I started pulling other stuff back out to do like rewrites and polishes and older material. So at that time it was, yeah, it was just that. And how long did that period last of working on that OWA that ended up going nowhere? Yeah, it was about, I think the, from, from start to finish was probably about a year and a half. Like the first, the first conversations about it had started somewhere in 2015 and the, some of the early interviews with the family and then probably about a year and a half later was the, all right, it's dead. Yeah. Having been in that situation before as well and come out of a huge development process with nothing of my own, um, what, like, do you feel like you would just do it again because that's just what you have to do? Or do you feel like you would advise younger Corey to do something different with that job? Uh, well, no, for that job, I would do it again. I mean, that, that was a great experience being with uh, the family writing that story. That was my first time ever trying to adapt anything, period. So, I mean, that was a great experience to have had. Um, I still actually keep in touch with, with the family. I talked to them um, to the, to them earlier this year. Um, I still keep in touch with the actor every once in a while. So it's it's not an experience that I would trade. It sucks the thing didn't go anywhere, uh, but I really, really enjoyed working on it. Um, I would do... I would do that sort of thing again, but I definitely, even now when I'm picking what to pursue and what not to, I am looking for the signs of, is this going to go? Or as early, as much of a sign as you can see, it's like who, well, it's, it's the, is there, is there someone who's going to be dedicating their life to getting this thing made? Yeah. Which actually that, that became sort of how that spec sale actually did wind up in a film coming out of it. Because there, I was fortunately in a position where I had more than one offer on it, and more than more than one interested company. And the company that I went with was the unknown company that had one film done prior. But you could just you could tell in the meetings with them that these guys are going to make this thing. Like there's no, we're not going to be in development hell for five years. There's not going to be any bullshitting around. Like they want something that they can be shooting by the summer, and they want it to be this. Yeah, let's do it. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, six months later, the thing was in production. How do you, how are you able to tell when someone's bullshitting you about, we really want to make your thing versus those people that you just described? Do you have a good bullshit meter? How did you figure out how to do that? I think so. I think it's, it's just looking for those like little actionable pieces of the conversation. Cause you can want to make a movie and then you can, or you wouldn't have a plan that's already in the works of how it's going to be possible. And with that script in particular, I wrote it to sell it. It was like my first time when it comes to my own spec work, trying to write something that I did not intend to direct. And so I was writing it with the producer hat on to say that it's going to, it would likely fall into this budget range. We'd likely shoot it in this sort of a schedule, blah, blah, blah. So when they come to the meeting and have that piece of the conversation already worked out, this is how we do this. Here's the plan. Here's how, here's what we want to do with it. Here's the, and it lines up exactly with what the original intention was versus let's just talk creative notes for a little while. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just, it's a different kind of conversation. I think that's exactly it. When, when you have someone who's really excited, but they have a lot of notes for you and they're not coming in with as you, an actionable plan. That's yeah. when the bullshit meters like, ah, cause you're what's distracting is you're very flattered by how much they tend to mm-hmm. they tell you how much they love it. And like their notes sometimes are like, okay, I, I can see how that could make it better. I could see how that could, ma-. but then there's someone over here to your left saying, no, we're going to make it. And here's how <laughs> so yeah. like, <laughs> like there, there's the, there's the note that makes it better. And there's the note that makes it better. That's aware of the budget range that's going to be made for. 
And right. I think those are two that's very different things when you hear them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's sort of the next phase of your career, right? So you did this OWA, you spent a year and a half on it. And then in this time, you were not writing this spec. You wrote this spec after the OWA or is it something you already had in the chamber? Uh, I wrote this years prior, actually. This is something that I wrote, I think it was right after I finished my draft of Shine, I want to say. Um, the, actually, this, this, I think, was a little bit of the planning of what happens if this thing gets made. Is anybody going to come to me looking to sell a, a script or whatever? knowing that the stuff that I had written, which at the time was two other features, um, I was not intending to sell. I was holding to direct myself. So sitting down to think strategically, what could I write that would impact or that would be appealing to the market in some way? So it's literally doing that thing that they tell new screenwriters don't do. Don't think about the market. Don't think about, yeah, yeah okay, do that for the stuff that where you want to write the best script possible. But if you actually want to make a living, you do kind of have to consider whether or not anybody's going to give a shit what your best script is. Like, so it was kind of like that, that piece of it saying, okay, like, can I even do this? I, I hear everybody saying contain thriller, contain thriller, contain thriller, ensemble cast, minimal locations, you know, no more than 20, 21 days schedule, whatever. Can I actually sit down and write that? And so this script was the experiment. It was, it was for me to even be able to know for myself, could I do that? And so I wrote the draft very quickly. I wasn't trying to, you know, show off with it or anything. Can I ask how quickly is quickly? For that script, it was like two and a half weeks, maybe. From, All right. From, well, this is, again, this was like, I'm not trying to do anything. I won't say that it was like a throwaway script. It was like, it was a practice script though. Like I want to practice the, the thriller structure. I want to see, can I do this? And yeah. I was not... Again, I wasn't at a point where financially I could spend three months working on it. I had just made $500 for the last three months of my life. I need to go get a job. Um, Sorry to interrupt, but you said that yeah. you, you kept hearing that the market wanted this, the market wanted that. How are you hearing this? Because you're, you're, not, you're not taking a lot of generals, or are you? Yeah, I'm not at that point. I'm not taking any generals. It's all through just handoff networking and just and listening. Just listening to what's out there, watching what the conversations are um watching what types of projects seem to sell a lot watching what seems to get made more frequently from no-name writers so looking to make a strategic play of if anybody is ever going to ask me if i have something for sale what can that answer be and what could if i were to play it as a numbers game what would the likelihood be that i would have the thing that's most appealing to the most number of people so just really looking for that marketable middle of the road thing that they tell writers don't do yeah which they say that for good reason because i don't think by any string of it that was like one of my better scripts but it was literally the thing that the market wanted and makes those those thrillers i actually think that's really smart i think it can go both ways and tasha you and i know someone uh, who I won't name, but she was very like geared towards the market and just like, she would be like, I want to be on the blacklist. I'm going to write a blacklist script. I want to do this. I'm going to write this. And I think it sort of actually worked out for her. And I feel like there's, I don't know, it's hit or miss. Mm -hmm. Or I've heard, you know, people consider that writer a hack because all they do is churn out 
the thing that everyone thinks they want, but it's actually not good once you actually read it. So you do have to come with actual writing chops as well. But yeah, I mean, that person that Josh is referring to, she'd always, you know, talk about, I'm going to mash this with this because, you know, like what, this is not true. Obviously Westerns (laughs) are selling, but (laughs) so I'm going to mash a Western up with, you know, sci-fi and do that movie and that, and I'd be like, oh, well, you know, do you like that kind of movie? Do you do you believe in those themes? It doesn't matter. Those are the things yeah. that are selling. <laughs> and she's now a working writer, so it worked out. Yeah, that, that's that's what this was. And what happened was after after 2016, after it was clear that that assignment wasn't going to go anywhere, and I was really that was, that was going into five years now, so I was just really kind of fed up with production work. It's it's hard to knowingly make no money for a while. Um, or or prevent yourself from a from yeah. getting a promotion to make <laughs> at least a little bit more money. <laughs> yeah, the self sabotaging can only go on for so long. So at that point, like I I need to stop taking production jobs and pour everything into writing right now. I have a little bit of savings from this from the last couple of gigs. Let me just dive into it into this year five, and that was the beginning of twenty seventeen. And so I pulled out all my old scripts to polish them up, rewriting, throwing them on the blacklist, throwing them whoever would read them. And this little practice filler was one of those scripts. And this was the first time I'd read it. Like it's like three years at that point. And when I read it, I liked it more than I thought I would, considering like what it was. Like I wasn't, you know, it wasn't really my passion project or anything. But like, you know what? This isn't bad. Let me let me punch this one up too and see what happens. And I put it on the blacklist and. The, the evaluations came back as a five and a six, which is not high by any means, but it's above average where I would have not previously considered that an above average script. So like, Oh, okay, let's polish it up again. Let's rewrite it again and let's see what happens. And I did that consecutively a couple of times and the score kept rising and it ended up in the top three horror scripts on the site for like a certain period of time, like six weeks or something. And this, the company, a couple of companies found it on in that period. And wow. I had offers uh, you know, within the first half of the year. Oh, wow. Another success story from the blacklist. Yeah. Blacklist. Now here's, here's the crazy thing though. Like at the time I remember I was the eighth person to have sold a script from the blacklist from the public side of it that ever went on to get produced. Also the fact that you kept revising and kept going, I think is such a huge reminder because you get that five and six, you're told your average, I think a lot of people go, oh, I'm just average. I'll try a new script then. But no, yeah. I think there's room to improve. If you feel, if you believe in that script, keep going and keep submitting. That's uh, definitely what, what I recommend as well for even for contests and stuff too. Yeah, that's good. Cause a lot of people stop myself. One time I've put, I've put things on the, I've had thing, many things on the blacklist. And if I get bad reviews, I'm like, you know what? Why am I doing this to myself? So it's good that you're revising and you're actually taking the notes that's not just to you. That's to anyone who puts it on the blacklist. <laughs> yeah. That's to myself. All right. So you you know you need to get out of this constant loop of PAing and taking these development jobs that last for a year and a half and you don't have anything original. So you bust out your old stuff. You start revising and you throw – did you throw all of them on, on the blacklist or just this one that you really believed in? I think I put a couple on. I don't remember exactly, but I think I put a couple on. And that's a hard this thing one. to do, by the way, if you're also – not making any money because it's yeah, what, like yeah. 25 bucks a month to do that. Personally. I think it's more now. It was whatever it's, it costs now. It was a little, it was cheaper then, but still it was still expensive. Um, that, that brings up a really good point that 
I think also doesn't get spoken of a lot is how I was even able to make it make it last this long was just the financial situation that I came in with. I don't come from money by any means, but I went to college. My degree is in IT, uh, but I went on scholarships. I don't have any student loans. I came out here and could debt finance my lifestyle as long as I needed to swiping credit cards. Yeah, I come from my mother works in the public school system. There's no money. But my worst case scenario was not homelessness. So I can take the kind of chances that other people are not able to take. I can turn down the production work to take $500 for the next three months to go write something just to see if it's going to happen. And there's been more than one occasion where whether it was my mother or my grandmother have helped me make rent and helped me buy groceries. And that is why I can still be here as long as I have where other people can't. It's just having having the financial stability to be able to swipe your credit card on the blacklist 10 times in a row just to Mm -hmm. see if something will happen, knowing it probably won't is privilege. It's weird to say yeah. that I, you know, I've never considered myself to be like privileged, but when I think about it, like, yeah, that's this is privilege that allows me to be here. Absolutely. I, I don't, I don't even know how we continue after that. That was like, a, <laughs> like the most powerful thing we've ever had on the podcast. <laughs> we should just stop it now. All right. Well, that's it. I'm going on. Hey, we'll see you later, Corey. Later, man. Great stuff. <laughs> great. No, I mean that's definitely my my story was as well. I had definitely had my mom had to pay my rent. I was on unemployment for a long time. And yeah, I mean, um, unemployment checks too between the production jobs. Yeah. Yeah. Working r- just any job I could find temp jobs and um, out here in Hollywood, at least there are temp jobs that allow you to get specific jobs that are in the entertainment industry, which is what I ended up doing because that at least kept me in the circle and maybe I could have my ear to the ground and try and find something that way. Um, But yeah, it is a slog, which is why they say that like stick-to-itiveness is the key to success for writers because you're going to go through some shit in order Mm -hmm. to, to get there. And if you're able to, like if you are financially able to, if you're privileged, as you say, um, or you can just kind of you know, stick it out. You will, you will be the C writer who rises to the A level yeah, because you, because yeah. everyone else gave up before you. <laughs> That's literally what it is. Like it's, it, I, I think sustaining long enough to be successful is just as hard, if not harder, than being successful to begin with. Absolutely. Because yeah. there are there are a lot of people that I know that I started with who I thought you know would still be here, and but they're not. And it's yeah. for for similar reasons. They couldn't last long enough to even get the chance to be in front of somebody to talk conversationally about a script to figure out whether or not they're going to get hired. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and also when I was hosting my stuff on the blacklist, that $25 or $50, whatever I, I was doing every month was really painful, but also yeah. felt really valuable. And for me, that's actually how I got my first job as well. So if you're able to do it, I always recommend, recommend it. Um, I didn't even know that. Corey's bringing out new things. <laughs> we're getting we're getting deep here today. Yeah, we're not. <laughs> All right. So you sell you you get noticed on the blacklist from your 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 spec because it just keeps rising up. Um, and are you paying by the way that little extra money to get more people to review your stuff? Because the way the blacklist yes. works is you'll pay more to get more reads, and the more reads you get, the higher you can potentially go yes. up. Yes, totally I, I, a racket, Franklin Leonard. I, I wrote a whole. I wrote like a whole like 3000 word Reddit thread actually about how to engineer the blacklist in that way. Because like, yeah, if you're just paying the monthly hosting fee, nobody's going to see your script. It's there. Sure. But when you think about like the executive or the assistant, who's going on there to look for scripts, do you think they're really digging through piles of scripts to find yours? They're looking at what's right in front of them. 
So in order for the site to be to work for you, you've got to get your script onto those top lists, which are the, mm-hmm. the consistently higher scoring ones, which you're not on if you're not buying evaluations. Mm-hmm. And the way the evaluations work is it average, it's an, always an average of two scores. So if you only buy one at a time, you're still not getting on those lists. Mm-hmm. So part of that strategy of how I sold the script on the blacklist was engineering the website to work to its maximum potential. I wanted to be in front of the most people for the longest period of time. And that means buying evaluations by in pairs every I think like two or three weeks. So you could, so when you stay on the list and if you're rising, if your score is rising, wow. you'll keep going higher and higher. Oh, that's brilliant. How long do you think you were on the blacklist before producers started reaching out to you? How much money can people expect to spend yeah. before? Expect to spend a lot. Mm. Um, I, I had used the site before that for a couple of other scripts. Um, actually, one of the reasons why I went back to it even is because that first feature script that I wrote, I did put it on the blacklist and it did get that coveted eight score where they actually like send your log line around to a bunch of people or whatever. And because of that, I ended up getting a meeting at Disney of all places, no which shit. is the strangest because wow. that, that script started with domestic violence and ended with murder. I don't know what the hell Disney wanted to talk to me about. <laughs> I got into a room at Disney because I did not get the job, obviously, but because I put that, the script on the blacklist and got a score of an eight. So I was like, okay, obviously I'm going to use this thing again and spent a lot of money over the years, not getting anything else out of it until this script. Did you say how long you feel like this, this spec that you ended up selling was on the blacklist before? It was a couple of months. So it was at least a month where it was like very, very visible. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I, I probably spent the month of February, the beginning of January going back and forth on a couple of, you know, passes, a couple of rewrites. I don't know how many times I did that. But it was as many as possible. If it's going to keep the score is going to keep getting higher or staying consistently above average, and I just was just watching like the ranking of it rise on the site. Like, oh, yeah. cool. Let's just keep doing this and let's see what happens. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. And six months later, as you say in your thread, it was already in production. Yeah. And it took a year for them to actually pr- get it out there and get it premiered. It released theatrically. Was it bigger than your indie feature that released? This was smaller release. This was this was one of the like it was like a day and date with VOD. So it was a limited city, maybe for um, not as long of a theatrical engagement. Do you at this time because? By now, I'm sure you've built more of a network and a con- and connections with people you've already met at Disney. Is this is the fact that your movie is in production helping you get more meetings? Are you now finally taking those generals, those coveted generals that everyone talks about for a writing career? Not really. This this was another case of like if you know if if I was waiting for the cavalry to come, they're not. This is yeah. yeah. I sold a script. Nobody gives a shit. Oh, it's in production. Nobody gives a shit. It's done. It premiered. It didn't. Nobody gives a shit. Um, Why do you think man. no one was giving a shit? What do you think was the hurdle there to to get people to care? It was the number of people at the time that I was even able to get this in front of was still very small. And because, I mean, this flood of content nowadays, so like who's really paying attention to any one project that comes out? Mm-hmm. And so I, I was able to use this to get in front of uh, one or two reps. There was a, there were a couple of production companies that I had formed relationships with that were just kind of kicking it their way. To, hey, by the way, produce credit. Is anything else you know, anything else coming along? But most of most of it still stayed pretty local in terms of like the people that I was already in touch with. Yeah. Um, I will say the 
that first set that I ever worked on as a PA that I party hopped my way onto, I've kept in touch with that producer um, since then. He's read my work and liked it. Then around that time, he started to send some stuff my way as like possible rewrite jobs and things like that. So that's, that's another like you can you can make some of these connections on set. They won't show up again for five years, mm-hmm. but they're there. And so like that's who I wanted to share this with. Like, hey, producer who read me, who likes me, who actually goes out and makes movies. By the way, I'm in this tier now. Yeah. Just in case you want to throw anything my way. Yeah. Um, so it was, it was that sort of thing. And, and just kind of leaning on the networks that I would have um, to see, can I get this in front of a rep? And would they even care? Yeah, that's a big question I have for you as well is how, because you had, as we kind of talked about at the top, you have this whole thread about your experience with reps, which mm-hmm. I feel like, let's not get into that now, but yeah. <laughs> kind of um, peel back just the, those few layers at the top. Like, were you, did you know that you needed a rep? Did you, were you actively trying to get them and just it wasn't happening? Or did you feel like I'm going to rep myself and be my own advocate? Where were you in that process at this point? It was a little bit of all of it. Like I did know that I could get, I could be in front of a lot more people right now if there was anybody who could on my behalf connect all these dots. Cause that was the other thing too. I mean, nobody would look at that film that came out and see that it had anything to do with that other one I did a couple of years ago or anything to do with these things that I was actually getting hired on. There was no glue connecting those pieces other than myself. And I could only talk to so many people. Mm-hmm. So I could see right there the value off. I've, if I would have had a rep here, yes this stuff could be getting used in my favor to get me into rooms, but I'm not really at the point yet where I could even get in front of the rep. I was only just able to start getting into getting read by even some of the assistants at agencies and things like that. And another thing that was working, I will say working against me because it felt that way then, even though I don't really consider it to be the case now, was that I was not trying to repeat that film. I didn't have any interest in writing another thriller or something else like that. I wasn't trying to stay in my lane as a writer or pick a genre or anything. I was going out and doing whatever I wanted to do, wherever the work would be, whatever project I would be have an interest in at the time, even the specs that I would go on to write next had absolutely nothing to do with anything that I had written before. And that uh, didn't certainly <laughs> did not help me get any reps yeah. or get anybody interested. And You mean just because no one could pinpoint what exactly Corey writes? Yeah. And so for me, that that is kind of what I was doing. I was just writing whatever I felt like at the time, and it was working in, in its own way. So I'm like, all right, I, I'll keep doing this then. At the end of the day, as much as I would love to have a rep, the other piece of it too was I was not going to sign to a rep uh, as just a writer. It was going to be a writer-director, and I had not yet directed a feature. Mm-hmm. That's, always, uh, that's always the goal. That's always the pursuit. And so... I didn't consider any version of somebody saying, well, don't do that now. Let's just focus on this other thing for a while to really be help. Even though it could have gotten me into a room or gotten me another assignment or job or whatever. Eh, no, nah, I'd rather just keep pursuing the thing that I actually want. At the end of the day, as much as I love writing and I do love writing, I came here to be a filmmaker. I didn't come here seeking employment. I mean, I'm, I'm writing on a TV show now. There could have been a version of my career where I didn't touch TV at all. So I didn't come here seeking writing jobs. It's just I enjoy it, and it's worked out that way. But I came here to make films. So yeah. I'll go Werner Herzog it out in the jungle for a year by myself if that's what I need to do. <laughs> if, the, if reps don't care, like, whatever, I'm making a film. 
Did you find then at this time, as you were getting in front of at least a few reps, that they were trying to kind of like focus you on only writing, and that's why you sort of didn't feel comfortable signing with them? Yeah, not to say that I was, you know, getting offers thrown out at me every day, but I did see that in the any any conversation that I would have would be very narrowly focused mm -hmm. on the one sample that they read and have no interest whatsoever in anything else that I would actually want to do. I would never get the question, "What do you actually want out of your career?" Mm -hmm. um, and so then it's like kind of just kind of check out, like, all right, this whatever this is, this isn't it. Yep. I don't I don't know what's wrong with it yet. I'm not I haven't been here long enough to know what's wrong with it, but I know that this is not gonna lead where I need it to lead. So I'm not gonna try. I'm not gonna try to sell myself to this person. I'm just gonna keep doing the thing that's been working so far and see what happens. Yeah. Um, a, that's incredibly brave of you because uh, you're always told that a rep is your key to success and that's your gateway in. And especially when you're struggling, you have your day job and you're like, it's really hard to say no to a rep who says I'll rep you but I'm not going to do the career that you want. <laughs> Part yeah. of you is like, maybe I can give that up. Maybe that's okay. Maybe I'll make it work. And I know a lot of people, um, particularly who that's their first experience with a manager, will still sign on with that manager and then cut to a few years later and they're miserable and that relationship isn't working. Um, so that is a very important red flag to pay attention to. It's very cool that your gut guided you the right way there. <laughs> yeah. So after after your your spec, your movie gets premiered, um, as you say in your thread, you had more OWAs. You were placing in contests. You were growing your network. Sounds like by yourself. Um, and then now, cuts now, you're in a writer's room. So how long was it between your movie premiering to now you're in a writer's room? Um, the premiere was in 2018. And so, so two years, I, I want to say almost exactly two years. I think the premiere might've been like August ish in mm -hmm. 2018. And I started the room in this August. I will say though, I mean, I think it's important to acknowledge the year after I sold that spec and it got made within six months, that was 2017 and 2018, absolutely nothing happened. Mm -hmm. Not a single yeah. thing, not a single job, not a single like promising meeting even really. Um, but I did write all the scripts that would end up opening doors for me this year, but nothing was going on in 2018. And that was a really weird, like, I don't understand. I'm doing everything right. I got credits. I sold something. Why does nobody care? Mm -hmm. And that was interesting to say the least to experience. How did you get into this writer's room? Which is a very, like, that's the steadiest job yeah. you get as a writer, right? Like you're going to make your rent if you're, if you're a staff writer. Um, yeah. How did it go from a super dry spell for 2018 to now? Um, how I got into this writer's room has absolutely nothing to do with anything we've talked about so far. <laughs> um, I'm the guy who's going to be going in every direction all the time as possible. One of these directions actually had me partner with this uh, writer producer, veteran writer producer. Like he was a uh, a stand up comic, like from the original Def Jam era. He and I connected um, very early on, maybe 2013 or 2014. And I did a couple of PA gigs for him, and then a couple of like videography, like our camera like operating, I think stuff on a couple of times. And I want to say 2015, maybe 2014. Um, we were in his office one day and he sort of soft pitched this idea that he had for like a short film. And 
I really took to the idea like, oh, that's really, really cool. I want, yeah, that sounds like it would make a really cool project. And we just, we just talked about it. Just kicked the idea back and forth a couple of times. And I left and went home and wrote like a 15 page treatment for it that weekend. Brought it back on Monday. He read it and he's like, oh, so you can write, right? You weren't just bullshit. <laughs> and then we ended up writing the script together. It was this exercise, like, again, and we never made the thing. It was just like, let's just stretch out a little bit. Mm. That turned into, he's now inviting me to develop ideas with him to help. He's got some, a couple of pilots of his own that he wanted to write. This is the only reason why I started writing TV at all. I had no interest when I came out here. I was just going to make films. But through working with him, him saying, uh, help me develop this TV idea, I'm going home like, shit, I got to figure out how to write for TV. I, need, I, need to, I had that exact same me. moment, Corey. Yeah. <laughs> I need to go figure this out. I need to write some practice uh, pilots or something. Yeah. Well, I, I knock out a couple of those just so I can come back and have an intelligent conversation with this guy about how to, uh, how I, I can like, just like help him like bat the idea around that eventually evolved into where we wrote a pilot together. And this was maybe by the end of 2015, um, we ended up writing this drama pilot together. In 2019, oh, 2018. Yeah, another one of the crazy things that did not happen in 2018, uh, he and I ended up selling a pitch that turned into us getting hired to write a comedy feature in 2019. Wow. Um, that still never went anywhere. One of these, like, this has got to be a sure thing. Like, it has every element that you would think it needs to have to just be a lock. Mm -hmm. Still nothing happened with it. But he and I wrote that feature together. And now this is what, another one of these, like, sort of alarm moments. Like, shit, now I'm writing comedy also, which was not part of the plan. How, again, still thinking, how is this going to look when I finally do get in front of more reps and we're having that conversation again? Yeah, I've, I've added another thing. But... I say all that to say, like, so he and I have, have just developed this working rapport, writing together. Now we're just, we're good at it. We'll go in, into the office, in his office, and we'll bet ideas around. We'll crank out stuff. And that just becomes this little routine that every once in a while we'll go do. So it's like, great. Now I have an occasional writing partner also. Great. I'll mm -hmm. check that off the box. And so he was really good friends with DJ Nash, who created A Million Little Things. This season, DJ reached out to him to say, come join the writer's room. He's, he had TV experience. He'd staffed on shows and stuff like that before. And he's like, great, I will, but I want to bring this other guy with me. And he sent DJ the sample that we wrote together, the drama pilot five years ago. He sent that as the sample. Um, DJ was like, yeah, all right, bring him in. And so now I'm writing on a network show. That's amazing. Wow. That's... You said it's random, but actually that completely tracks with your story. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like how else are you going to get that job? <laughs> exactly. How, how else? It's not going <laughs> to... And what's interesting about it is like what you're saying is very like in line with how you ended that thread we've been talking about where it's like, this is a journey. Like you have to enjoy these things and it feels like it just makes sense. We've just like tied together an entire Twitter thread. <laughs> yeah. It makes much more, so much more sense. It is that when, when we're in that office, just kicking ideas around it's cause we love it. Cause we enjoy it. It's like, it's fun. Let's see what we can come up with. Let's see if anybody's going to bite anywhere. One of those things ended up, you know, netting us a paycheck to go write a feature. Great. Maybe that'll oh, happen man. again. Yeah. And, but, and then it leads into this, like we wouldn't, he wasn't expecting this offer either. Yeah. So then do you have a rep now? You said you got one. I do. It also had nothing to do with any of this other stuff that you just heard. I want to talk about <laughs> then how you got your, your rep. Let's go there. Yeah. 
Um, so, in 2018, when all these things are falling apart and all these things that should be sure things turn out to be nothing, mm-hmm. I sit down and write three scripts. Um, two two features and one pilot. Damn, um, that's a lot of work in one year. I had nothing else to do. So. Did, you, did you have a day job in 2018? Or were you just working off savings and credit cards? Um, no, this was me burning through everything that I had just earned selling a film the previous year. And going right back to paying rent on a credit card. Mm-hmm. Um, but I write these three scripts, which uh, I consider to be, I think, I mean, at that point, like the best things that I had written. So both of the features and the pilot became instrumental in everything else that I would do for the next, for, for 2019 and, and 2020. Um, one of those was a sci-fi pilot. That ended up being read by a showrunner who didn't even like sci-fi, but really liked that script. And made her say, you know, can I read something else of yours? That was my only um, like solo uh, TV sample. So I sent her one of the other features, which I sent her the one that I consider to be the best thing that I've probably ever written and maybe ever will. And wow. you've peaked, Corey. She, yeah, that is what's funny about this story, actually, is that how the, like these old samples of mine became the things that opened doors uh, two years later. Yeah, I peaked already. You guys missed it. Uh, <laughs> She read, but she read that and she was like, okay, we need to do something with you. And here's what's really, I think I'd I'd probably tweet at some point about the difference between an ally and a gatekeeper and how much of an ally this woman was for me. She reads this sci-fi pilot, a genre that she doesn't even like and says, you're a talented writer. I've got an overall deal at this studio. Can I send them this? Of course you can send that script to a student. Yes, please. Um, so she does. This st- now, previously, that script was getting read by um, a couple of assistants and coordinators at an agency. And they would all have the feedback of, we can't sell this, so we don't want you as a client, basically. Mm-hmm. That script that they couldn't sell, so they didn't want me as a client. This showrunner reads it, loves it sends it to a studio. The studio says, yeah, we don't think we can sell this either, but we'd love to develop something else with this guy if you want to bring back something. So she relays that to me. I try to soft picture something else that was uh, something that I was writing as a novel that would, I think, could be adapted into a series. She really loved that idea. Took that back to the studio. The studio said, yeah, let's do it. And they offered me a development deal. Because the studio offered the deal. I feel like there's so many steps in between this. <laughs> there's surprisingly <laughs> few. All right. Well, okay. I have steps. a couple of questions. How did it, your script get to the showrunner? Your sci-fi? That happened because George Floyd got murdered. That happened because the Twitter hashtag, read black writers, that was going around for about three or four weeks, mm-hmm. um, had people like her reaching around the level of gatekeepers mm-hmm. and because of that she got my sample interesting okay so she reads it loves it sends it in we don't want to do this one what else does he have you soft pitch her something you're already working on and then does she take you into the studio to pitch it does she pitch it to the studio she pitches it to the studio and studio's like we don't even need him to come in to pitch this we love <laughs> yeah. him so much Corey, what Tasha- the hell Tasha's gonna, Corey. When, when this is done, Tasha's gonna take her headset off, fucking throw it down, and go find that bottle of wine that's not there. 
But again, I got a preface to say, like, yeah, it's a development deal. Maybe absolutely nothing comes out of it. You know, we'll see as these things often go. Oh, of but course. that was the that was the the final piece of the puzzle. Mm-hmm. When that happened, when that offer came in, then she's like, okay, you need a rep. And now it's no longer I'm just going to put you in front of the one person I know who's a rep. It's who should rep you. Yes. It's who should actually respond to the material that you have to what your goals are and what you want to do with it. And so she made the introduction to the people who ended up becoming my agents. Mm -hmm. So I just want to say, this is all fucking insane, by the way. (laughs) It is. uh, I mean, in a good way, by the way, like hearing this, because you, I feel like I've heard these stories. We've heard these stories, but like, I've never actually met someone that these stories have happened to. Yeah. You're like a unicorn. Yeah. (laughs) Unicorn. But uh, so with the reps, um, was she setting you, so you, she was setting you up with them or were you like, Hey reps, I have a freaking development deal and everything I touch works out. So what's up? Or like, how did that go? Like what happened? It was, it was because the deal was on the table. Well, actually, well, here's, I can't say too much about the specifics of it, but because this was yeah. happening at the exact same time that I was that the offer for a million little things came in, it was kind of a clock on it. So she's referred me to the agents just to say like just to get that deal done not even necessarily to rep me for everything but like you should just meet this guy he's got this offer just help him get this thing done but you know talk to him talk to him about who he is and what he wants and so their their only question for me was like who are you and what do you want and Mm -hmm. that's when i explained that's when everything that i had been doing over the last eight years finally lines up and actually meant something because i was explaining it all at once and when you explain all at once then it does kind of sound like a career then I get yeah. to say, oh, I got hired to do this. Then I got hired to do that. And then I sold this. And then that got made. And then that got made. And then I did this. And at some point we skipped over in 2019. I finally did direct my first feature. That was in post-production at the time. And now this TV show just offered me yeah. to come start. I'm going to start on Monday. I think that was the I was having that conversation the Friday before I started. So they're like, oh, okay. Yes, we would like to rep you. Yeah. Did you feel like you had sort of a pick of, of is it your agent or did you have a manager? Who'd you end up? Uh, I ended up going with an agent. There's a couple of agencies that I talked to and then uh, a management firm. And I ended up going with the agents who were, it was a team. So it's like five people now that kind of just cover all angles. Cause again, for like, for me, like I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say I'm coming here just to, you know, staff on shows just to do this. I'm I'll do TV now too, because I guess I am now, but I'm here for, to write features where I'll do assignments, but I'm here to direct. Here are these things that I want to direct. Here's the one that's already there. It's a really, really weird film that I just directed. The first mm-hmm. thing people are going to say when they see that thing is how the fuck did this guy start working in network TV? <laughs> but that's there too. And by the way, like the copy. So it's like, you have to see this, the whole package and agree to all of it. Cause I'm not going to stop doing it at this point. Like this is, you have to be excited by the idea that I'm just going to keep trying all this stuff. And yeah. for them to say Oh yeah, we like that. We are excited about it. We want to help you keep doing that. Because again, it's like that's it's just a different conversation. Yep, completely that's different awesome. conversation. You're, you're just gonna surprise people. Fucking trust me, man. But also yeah. look at like look at the power shift difference between the conversations you described before of someone of a rep saying, I'm gonna take your career and I'm gonna make you this thriller writer or whoever, mm-hmm. versus you being like, no, this is this is who I am. It's crazy and bonkers, but this is who I am. And then being like, okay, like that power shift is completely different and is the relationship you want. So amazing yeah. that you held out for it. Um, may I ask where you are? Which agency? I'm at WME, which 
I'm not a WGA member yet, so we'll see yeah. when that maybe you cross that bridge. <laughs> right, because you'll have to fire your agents and then, but you can still be there as a director. Yeah, that's the, that's another piece of why you're taking the entire package. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, okay, given your your crazy story, and uh, as Josh mentioned, you you wrap up this thread that got us all interested by saying, you know, like after eight years of looking back on all these many milestones along the journey, you can finally say, oh, that is the career. This process, this crazy wild process is the career. Um, what advice would you have to other writers like yourself, young Corey, um, who are feeling the exact same things as you were feeling in your thread, that kind of constant, just nagging question that like, am I ever going to get there? What advice do you have for those people? I think it's really just take a step back and look at the big picture of what you want out of your career. Do you, that would, I mean, that was something else when I was, you know, being potentially considered by some of these other reps. Do I even see the career that I want reflected in their clients? I think when it comes to choosing what to write along this journey, whether or not to do the thing that I did, which is kind of just throw it all on the wall and see what sticks. I think the most important thing is what is your intention for your own piece of material? Because when somebody says, don't just think about what the market is going to do, you should write the thing that you're passionate about. They're absolutely right. Because that script that I wrote for what the market was going to do, that's nowhere near my best sample. That's an okay script at best and became a little better throughout the process of it all. But yeah. the script that I wrote that I consider to be the best thing that I've ever written, that was that last piece of getting me passed on to the studio from that showrunner and then getting the agents was a script that if I were to describe it to someone first, before I wrote it, the first thing they would probably say is, why the fuck are you going to write that? You're never going to be able to sell it. You, you're never, why, why would you waste your time with that? But for you, the writer, trying to show who you are on the page, you should absolutely write that script because that script might get you repped and get you a development deal. Josh and I are feeling this so much right now. We talk about yeah. this so <laughs> often. Like naughty, like, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> but it's, it's to know within yourself what that is when you're writing it. And to know within yourself, this is going to be the thing that I'm going to go make, or this is going to be the thing that I will hope will get me staffed. This is going to be the thing that I want to try to sell. Know what those are and pick those things. Yeah. It's like, your, what's the theme of your potential career yeah what do you want and if you and if you want to do all of it have samples for all of it um Corey, let's let's wrap up with actually telling people where they can find your stuff where can they watch your crazy ass movies yeah, <laughs> um, self-described and where can they find you on twitter uh, i'm on twitter just at my name Corey deshawn um where I, I want to say trespassers the script that i saw it's a home invasion thriller i, I don't say that's on hulu I'm not sure where Shine is. I'm not sure if you can see that right now. It might be on Amazon. Damn, um, dude, you have so much stuff going on. You're like, I don't even know. <laughs> it's hard, it's hard to keep track of this stuff in the past. <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't matter. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to have less things to do right now. That's my goal. Uh, <laughs> the, the film, once I can get my first feature out of post-production limbo, hopefully a couple of weeks left, uh, it's called Daughter. Uh, we don't know where it'll be yet, but uh, some sort of release next year. Um, and that's, this is, I think this of everything that has my name on it so far will be the most me thing of anything that's uh, oh. been released. Cause it is a, the first film that I directed finally, and also produced myself in this case, Amazing. learning that lesson of you need to be able to champion it and dot, throw your life into getting the thing made. Um, so that will come out at some point next year. 
A Million Little Things. I'm writing on season three. And I think that premieres next month. I don't know the exact date. I should probably. What's your episode? Which number? I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say. Oh, really? I don't, I don't know yet. I'm writing it now. But I don't know if I can. If we're supposed to say anything about where it's going to fall or anything like that. Oh, I see. Gotcha. Right. Lay off, Tasha. All right, fine. <laughs> Lay off. Well, Corey, I'm going to embarrass you and, and make you say our quote of the day. Because I always do it, and I'm sick of it, Josh. <laughs> I won't even do it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Corey, take us out with the quote of the day. Quote of the day. My three Ps, passion, patience, perseverance. You have to do this if you've got to be a filmmaker. Robert Wise. Awesome. Corey, thank you so much for joining us. This was Corey, so awesome the, and so exciting. You're the man. When uh, when we can go outside again, we'll all get a drink together. Exactly. The Act Two podcast is a production of Act Two, a network and support group for the everyday working screenwriter. This episode was edited by Paul Lundquist, music by 414 Beg, which you can find on Spotify. Mm-hmm.